etohe eta tipurihi. Persistence has its rewards. No piki mai, no kake mai ki tēnei hōtaka a Te Ahikā. Ko marae arakarakua hau. Ko Justin Maria hau, you're listening to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. While the debate rages on, and no doubt will do so for many years to come, tonight we meet Sophie Nock, whose experience is similar to many of ours in terms of the household she was brought up in, making a conscious decision not to communicate ithere o Māori, or pass the language on to the kids. That's all part of the assimilation mentality that pervades colonised peoples everywhere, or those dominated by a majority culture. Even so, it wasn't enough to deter the Waikato University lecturer, whose love of the language was recognised recently. The passing down of the language was um, interrupted, let's say. So I, even though I was brought up in a house um, where the te reo was spoken all around, it was never really spoken to me. So um, and I never really learnt the, the reo per se, but I picked up snippets here and there. And as I, you know, later on in life, I decided, oh, once I had my children, I, I need to learn the reo. Kia ora, Sophie Nock, coming up later on in the show. As too, a visit I made to Kaitaia in April when the Te Ahu Centre, the boarding housing most of the local council's facilities, we're talking library, museum, service centre and theatre, had its grand opening. It's a wonderful day for our people of the Hiku Oteika. We don't have to go to Te Papa, we have our own Te Papa here. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful day. Morning. From there, it's down to southern Taranaki, where the Ohawe settlement is literally a living testament to its history. This whole, if you like, this whole village was set aside for the kūpapa. Māori Language Week ended on a good note, so to speak, with the launching of a couple of Waiatum Māori albums from a variety of Māori artists. And reintroduces a couple of old-school musos, Kimo Winniata and Keelan Ransfield of Iwi fame. Tonight, we'll feature a few tracks from Kirsten Thor and her album. That's what's coming up in tonight's edition of Te Ahika. Radio New Zealand National. I understand it was something akin to celebrity spotting when you attended the opening of Te Ahu in Kaitaia, Mariah. That's right, Justine, the who's who of Ngāpuhi Māori were there, ready to celebrate the big day that some days earlier included the returning of a taonga that had been housed at the Auckland Museum. And in an upcoming episode of Te Ahikā, we'll feature a profile on one of those involved in that process, navigator and bridge builder Heke Nukumai Busby. For now, we're off to Kaitaia, and the whole journey there started at some obscene time on the Rawine Ferry. Warning, I am not a morning person. Time is 7.20am in the morning. I have just driven onto the Rawine Ferry, about to disembark to head over to Kohukohu before I drive up to Kaitaia. With the manga car here, though? No, I'm with Radio New Zealand. Oh, are you? Yes, I'm. Oh, so no wonder. So I'm in Wellington. Are you going up to this? Um, I am. Tarara, I think. Aye. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Where have you come from? Um, Pangaroo. Pangaroo, and you 
and you're heading over up I'm, to I'm Kataya? To... No, 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 I'm not. No. I see they got this opening of this big uh, furry up there. Is that That's right. right. Mm. I quite like that idea of the five iwi plus the one for the Pākehā and one for the Tarara. So what's the, what's the idea? Uh, do you not do you not know about it? Oh, well, I tell you what, I tell you what, I, I'll show you, I'll take you to this uh, chappie over here. You alright? Come here, he's the man to talk to, because he's the chappie from Tararawa. Do you like to meet him? Sure. My name's Rangi, anyhow. My name's Mariah. But anyhow, why are you standing here? Okay. I'm here as well with, to, to greet a, a whanau that have come from Whangapoa and uh, they're the first time they've been up here uh, to Waiho and of course their, their, their tupuna was Mary Maioka here. So she was uh, quite famous in her day because she was the first Māori woman to speak in Parliament. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, Paul, so we're heading from Rawinea over to Kohu Kohu and then we're going to drive up to Kaitaia for the opening of Te Ahu. Uh, uh, kia ora. Uh, yeah, Te Ahu's been a project um, of great importance to the iwi of, of Te Hiku Te Eka and Te Rarawa. Um, I'm, I'm quite involved with Te Rarawa and uh, um, it's been in the design for, for a number of years now, but it's a, it's a coming together of, of the iwi and the, and the Pākehā community to build a, a, a centre of substance. Um, it's bringing together the, the, the museum, the library, the local authority um, facilities and um, uh, halls and, and places for community use, and uh, we're very hopeful that um, there'll be an um, archival, iwi archival centre there. So it's just from what you've described, it sounds a little bit like the Pukeariki complex down in Taranaki. Yes, um, uh, the vision um, of many is, is that we have some, something that we can be proud of. Um, I'm not sure if there's such an arts focus uh, as uh, Pukeariki, but um, in terms of um, what's been built, uh, we have uh, an impressive entrance area. There's seven pau involved, uh, the five iwi of, of Tehiku, that's uh, Rarawa, uh, Ngai Takoto, Ngāti Kuri, Ngāti Kahu and Tau Pauri. Uh, each have a po there, uh, and there's a po that the Parker community have uh, commissioned, as well as the, uh, the Tarara community, the Dalmatian community. So bringing together the seven peoples of that area um, into, into that centre. So it's uh, quite an exciting day. Our iwi leaders have been involved uh, in the planning and, and uh, uh, on the governance of it uh, for some time now, so we're just going to total with that. And just the other day, you had the return of the Kaitaia lintel. Yes, well, we're not calling it the Kaitaia lintel anymore because it's not a lintel. Um, it's got two, two, two sides of a kairo on it. Uh, it's a kuwaha, and uh, it was found out in Tangone, uh, out from Kaitaia, and um, we've got it back uh, up here for, for a 12-month uh, loan. Um, and so uh, it got pawfitted back um, to Churio uh, Hinamarai during the week, and it's, it's there at uh, Tiahu. Uh, for the next 12 months, so we are very excited about that. So, Paul, tell me, tell me, what are some of the characteristics of Te Rarawa Iwi? Oh, we're 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 humane, we're we're, <laughs> we're, we're determined, um, uh, we're survivors. Um, the Rarawa community, from 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 the north side of the Hokianga Harbour up to uh, up to the Onirua Tohe, the 90-mile beach, um, we're 
based around our 23 marae and um, uh, we have many, many of our people don't live here anymore but in each area we've got the hunga kainga, the ahika who, who hang on and, and look after our local communities and uh, uh, very often we get our whanau coming back for, for a variety of reasons so uh, it's a very uh, uh, progressive iwi I think. Did you say 22 marae? 23 marae here. 23 marae? Yes. Over what kind of landmass are we talking? Oh, well, from here to Kaitara. So, uh, you know, it's like you, the whole time I've been travelling around here this week, man, I'm seeing a marae like every five minutes. <laughs> well, there's 200 marae in Taitukaro, so, you know, there's a few. But ko Paul Waitoku Ingua, no Tararawaho, no Ngai Tupoto, ko Tira Taku Nei Marae Kiko, ko Motukaraka, no Reira Atinakui. I am actually. You Man, this weather is so out of hot, it. Cold, hot, cold, cold, eh? Well, it's cold, hot, cold, eh? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, did you make it here all right? I made it here all right. This is blinking weather, man. Out of it. Gee, that was a. It gets quite warm at this time of year, but the rain coming over, cooling us down, heating us up. You've got to carry all that equipment. Yeah, jacket, putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Now, I'm looking at these ladies sitting on a couch. They are truly resplendent. Both are wearing beret, sunglasses boots, knee-high boots, black layers, amazing kind of power combination in their dress, and I'm going to see if they can talk to me. Kia ora, my name is Maraya Rakuraku, now I've just been standing over there, I'm so I took you into my microphone describing what you ladies are wearing and saying, I'm going to see if they're going to talk to me. <laughs> Will you talk to me? Yep, yep. Kia ora, ko hinerangi a toku ingoa. Te wenerangi kupa. Kia ora, kōrua. You look absolutely stunning. But you know that, don't you? Kia ora, tēnā koe mihi mai nei kia māua. Tēnā koe. Because it's a real tūrua, um, it's a wonderful day for our people of the Hiku Ika. We don't have to go to Te Papa, we have our own Te Papa here. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful morning, a wonderful uh, Governor General listening to the kōrero this morning and how he's brought all our our iwi, our, our our surrounding tribes around the hiku, or um, knowing knowing that you know, I think the north, uh, the Pake and Ma, uh, Pake and uh, other races will show other people in the country how we are very close. The hiku are people. We've got on with the Dalmatian people for so long, and the Governor General made a special mention about the late Dame Mirazazi, who, who was also someone that I looked up to. 
um, being the, a, the president of Maori Women's Wealthy League, which my mother was the first prehetini of the Maori Women's Wealthy League. So you're talking about Dame Finna Finna Kupa. Kupa. Yes. Wow. So that was, you know, to listen to the Governor General this morning mentioning Dame Mirasasi, who was also a Dalmatian. And we, and, um, we call him the Gati Tarara. Yes, so, you know, that, that's been a, a, um, listening to the Governor-General and that message. This brought in all, see, the, those are the kuaka marangaranga, the kuaka marangaranga, and, you know, have all those birds as if they're flying around in, in this foyer here. Yes, and then this carving here, which is represents uh, um, our, our tupuna kupe of the Hokianga in the Hokianga area. But I want you to interview my brother. Hi, because he's one of the carvings. Peter Nee. Hi. Winnie, your turn. Winnie. I'm Winnie. Him in the very stylish hand here. You interviewed this man here, from Matsuflaki. The Potai. This one here. Oh, that's my boyfriend, my husband. That's my husband, my brother. But I am. And I'm her husband. She's your boyfriend. No, no, I'm the husband, that's the boyfriend. And Jim Jim Tatui. He's one of the chiefs from Matsuflaki. Okay, nice to talk to her. Should I do you one at a time? One at a time. I don't hear you. Um, according to what? Ah, according to what? Te ano? Ah, tena rotato ngai wi pano i rotate. Rotate mo te Kete hui hui mai nei tātou katoi roto tēnei tēnei hui nui e pāna ki te tūpere tango te ahu i roto o kaitaia. Kia nei ko te hoino rahoki e haka hira hira i roto te reo pēkete. Welcome to the to the eighth wonder of the world. Kei konei. Kei konei. Ke kona ira tena nga hila hila tanga e pāna ki te wadu tanga o te ao, the eight wonder of the world. <laughs> Kia ora no tata. Koi tui wa? Moka. Moka. Puru. So moka puru, what do you think? Oh, kapai. Kuaka. Kuaka marangara. The whole complex. I don't, know, I don't know why they made them white though. What colour are they normally? Grey. They're grey. They look more like a white heron. Perhaps it's our eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> Yours and mine, perhaps they are grey. <laughs> Could you tell me anything about the tarara? Tarara? Yeah. Oh, I suppose they built this 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 town really, Kaitaia. The Tarara became the 
they found out what uh, what gum was good for, so they came. They became the gum diggers here. So what is gum good for? Well, they used to make the uh, varnish out of out of the gum. Like gum. varnish for floors and houses. Yeah, yeah. Gum was sent away right. and uh, was uh, thing down, melted down overseas somewhere. They came back as as varnish. But I think that was the main living here was gum digging. It's a wonder they haven't got big big pieces in here. Big pieces of gum. Yeah. Oh, of gum. Mm. So Tarana then married into local iwi, yeah. and then you get a certain featured and kind of coloured Māori. Yeah, yeah, like um, Mirasasi. Aye. She was a Tarara. The Yates, Yates alone are Tararas. Yeah. And they all had their surnames like Ehrlich, Vela. And uh, Tarara is still as prominent oh, yeah. today yeah. as they were back then? Yeah, yeah. So there's no negative connotations attached to being a Tarara. No, it's just your whakapapa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So then it must be quite neat how there's a pole here. A pau here just for the tarana, representing those people. Did they move down to Pangaru? No, no. Might be one or two married in, married into them, but other than that, they they kept in in their own community, eh? Which is here in yeah. So is that because most of the kauri is up here? Or? Yeah, the most of the gum was up here too. That's in Kaitai. Like they were hard workers. Oh, they are. On the floor of the atrium is an image representing Te Hiku o Te Ika. That's been done graffiti style. It shows the tail of the fish. There's a grand piano in the atrium. There's somebody sitting at playing. And standing from the atrium, you would get an amazing view of the imagery that's on the floor. In the round-shaped foyer or atrium of the ahu stand carved popo, majestic poles rising into the roof. They represent the iwi and peoples that comprise the history of Te Tai Tokero. For example, the Pākehā popo shows the New Zealand coat of arms. The Te Rārua Popo depicts Navigator Kupe. The intent of the Popo is to show the true extent of partnership and how the Te Ahu complex is for everyone. <laughs> te Aika, Radio New Zealand National. Sophie Knox's story mirrors that of my parents and that their parents my grandparents, were speakers of te reo Māori, the Māori language, but chose not to encourage it in the home. In covering stories on Te Ahika, we've certainly racked up the mileage in Aotearoa hearing that same kōrero, which resulted in generations of potential Māori language fluency amongst the community and indeed a country falling to the wayside. Growing up, Sophie's grandparents spoke to each other i te reo Māori, but when it came to the kids and mokos, 
Even so, it never discouraged her from picking it up later as an adult. She's another example of what can happen if you have that real fire-in-your-belly commitment to learn, speak and teach te reo Māori. She shares her story with Justine. A eti wi tēnana tātou katoa. Ko tukurangi toku maunga tapu, ko waitiki taku awa, ko mamari rawa ko kurahaupo oku waka, ko te hāpua rawa ko timingi oku marae, ko te haukainga ko te hāpua ana ko Sophie Nock tēnei e kōruru atu nei ki a koutou katoa o te rā tēnā tātou katoa. Kia ora, kia ora Sophie. Currently you're a senior lecturer at um, the School of Mining Pacific Development for the University of Waikato. Yes, I've been a lecturer in the school since uh, 1995 after completing my bachelor's degree. I was fortunate enough to get a position in the then uh, Māori department. Mm. Pretty much my role there has been a, um, a te reo Māori lecturer, teacher. If we go back, um, how has Māori, te reo Māori shaped your life? Were you brought up in a house that spoke te reo? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I actually was brought up in a house. My grandmother, or well, my krani mama, my krani papa, both were um, native speakers of the language. But unfortunately, at a time where um, the passing down of the language was interrupted, let's say, so I even though I was brought up in a house um, where the te reo was spoken all around, it was never really spoken to me. And I never really learnt the, the reo per se, but I picked up snippets here and there. And as I, you know, later on in life, I decided, oh, once I had my children, I, I need to learn the reo. And when I got back into uh, hearing the language, um, things started to come back to me. You know, what my queer used to say to me, my grandfather and um, I was pretty much uh, bitten by the language so really when I started my first class in uh, Atarangi, probably back in the 80s that's been my life really is the real since then. Would you be a second language learner? Yes I'm yeah. a second language learner yes yep. How do you go from learning via the method of the Atarangi to teaching it? Really, when I started learning through the Atarangi method, it was just really part-time. And um, and at that time, I was living in New Plymouth, and um, my husband and I decided we'd move back closer to Auckland because that's where our both our parents lived. And we thought Waikato was um, as good a place as any, and yep. my husband is from Waikato, so that worked in quite well. When we arrived in um, Hamilton, there was um, the Polytech that had the Atarangi program, and I was really quite keen to enrol on that course. Uh, unbeknownst to my husband, I enrolled on this course, <laughs> and um, I did one year of Atarangi, and that just sort of um, just really consolidated all my part-time lessons that I had been taking, taking, and then. Um, from there, one year there, I went to the University of Waikato and I did a program called Te Tohu Paitahi. And Te Tohu Paitahi is a program that started back in 1991 where the kaupapa is Te Reo Māori. Mm. And in the first year, you just solely concentrate on Te Reo Māori papers. So the idea is to get students from a beginner's level to probably about an intermediate level in the first year, depending on the student and how um, committed they are to learning. 
So, so for you, so you're a senior lecturer at uh, the University of Waikato in Te Reo Māori. Mm-hmm. What does it take to be a successful Māori teacher? Do you think? Um, I guess a lot of it is, is is your passion for the language, is your passion and and your commitment. And and like I said before, um, when I even though I was brought up in a house with the language. Um, I, I guess I can say that it was my queer that actually planted that seed or that love for the language. And um, uh, I don't think I would be a language teacher if I didn't love the language and love teaching. Um, so, I, I mean, it is, you know, it, it, it is a lot of work. Um, and, well, for us at Waikato, we, you know, we, we pride ourselves on quality teaching. So, you know, we all work hard and, you know, we share our resources. We try to help each other. And for me personally, my, my, one of my um, goals is, you know, as well as being a good researcher, a good te reo Māori speaker and teacher, I'm about all about developing my teaching as well. So I'm not afraid to experiment with Western methodology if I think it's going to help me, so I, you know, so I use a, you know, a variety of methodologies when I'm teaching, just to add a bit of variety in our yeah. class. Because learning te reo is one thing, teaching it is a whole new ball game. So not only were you learning te reo and then later on decided to teach it, yeah, you've got the both sides of the coin really. Yeah, that's a difficult one because it's not easy um, teaching a language, no matter how good you are as a speaker of the language. It's not always the same when you want to teach the language, particularly when you're teaching absolute beginners. And um, they're just as hard as teaching your really advanced students. Um, Really? mm, Because you can lose them along the way. If things get too difficult for them, you tend to lose your students and... um, um, it's really difficult because you don't want to overwhelm them. Yeah. You don't want to overwhelm them with all this knowledge and then they just throw their hands up in the air and go, oh, no, I can't do this, I can't do this. So it's a real fine line of um, keeping them engaged, um, keeping them interested as well as during the fires, you know, particularly for the passion and the love for the language. But... Um, at mm. Waikato, we've got a variety of students because we have students from that are international, international. students, yeah. and they come into our class and they want to learn the the real. It's it's quite amazing, really, because you there was one girl one year and she was from um, Minnesota, and she stood up and American. did her tanga and I said to her, and she said the reason why she had wanted to come and learn the real was she had seen an article somewhere, and thought, wow, that looks interesting. I'm going to travel halfway around the world and go and check it out for myself. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So she did, and she came in, and um, and she did really, really well in the class. So um, so no matter if you're a beginner till advanced, your teaching methods and styles remain pretty much the same. Yeah, well, you have your, you have your fundamentals, and then um, some of the fundamentals that you need to have as a teacher, first of all, you need to be um, you know, an exponent of the language. And um, interestingly enough, it's um, it's going a, a little bit linguistically. So you need to know a little bit of the the, the rules and the grammar. It's not an absolute necessity because grammar is not a you know the be all and the end all of learning a language. Mm. Um, so you're saying so if you have a good 
um, foundation of English it's that, that's transferable into learning the real yeah or... um, learning the language as in learning the language well yeah. th- I mean that's why a lot of our internationals do so well and these are they're not necessarily um, English speaking people that are coming to learn the language that's they're right. German right. they're Japanese and they're Chinese and learning the real is like their third language so they've learned English as their second language, and um, then they come and learn a third language, and it just gets easier and easier for them. What do you think the state of Te Reo Māori is? Um, well, I don't think it's... Um, I wouldn't say it's in a great state. It's, it's pretty hard to measure. It's pretty hard to measure the language. I, I mean, when was the last um, language survey done? And I think that was Tupuni Kokiri, maybe back... 1995, I can't remember the exact date. If I look at our university as as an example, we have 20% uh, Māori population overall, and we actually have 20% Māori population in each of our faculties and our schools. So that's pretty impressive. So yeah. in our management school, that's there's 20%. In our education, 20%, etc., etc., so I think that's that's pretty outstanding in itself. But the problem that I have with that is that of that twenty percent, I don't even think we would reach double figures that would actually come through our school and learn Te Reo Māori or Tikanga Māori. So I right. think for me that is a big concern, and I think that may even be a reflection of the country. So. You know, my my question has always been, you know, how do you convert people? How do you get them to change and, you know, well, instill that desire to learn the language, learn mm. their language, mm. our language? So, um, so when you t- so ten years ago when you were teaching Te Reo versus today, mm. how has mm. your teaching methods and styles and your kupu changed? Well, um, my my teaching method has. Um, improve exponentially because I've been, you know, constantly constantly developing um, my teaching practices and um, but with my with the real, for me it actually has pretty much stayed the same because I've kept with the same the same pool if you like and I mean you can add to that pool Mm. um, but pretty much the foundation stuff is, is is has stayed the same as far as my teaching goes. You know, other people have other ways of saying things. I mean, it's a dialectual thing as well. Yeah, you know, dialectual. Uh, yeah. And... yeah. And you could not say it for any, uh, you know, all languages in the world, they evolve. It can't sit in a vacuum and not, you know, not change and be affected by the environment, uh, be affected by the politics of the world. So, you know, for a language to, to maintain maintain itself it does need to evolve and um it's got to grow it's got to develop and and it's got to move with the times as well but having said that you know there's nothing more beautiful than listening to classical maori being spoken that's how our old people speak in that classical way Kia ora, Sophie Nock. She was also a recipient of a tertiary teaching award sponsored by Ako Aotearoa 
Kiakwe. Thought links and photos of today's show have posted those up on our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash teahika. You can email us as well, teahika at radioNZ.co.nz. Love hearing from you. Or look us up on Facebook. I'm Maraya Rakraku. And I'm Justine Murray, and this is Teahika. New Zealand's colonial history is ever present. Travel the country and you see evidence of it everywhere. From buildings in Kirikiri and Russell that saw the first wave of church missionary contact to the archaeological footprints of past sites decimated by war. Te Waipaunamu cities like Dunedin and Invercargill have shop frontages carrying the names of that initial second and third wave of settler contact and indeed many of the families from that initial settlement still live there. Then there's many townships named after people like Greytown, named after the governor Sir George Grey in 1854 who while he enjoyed that honour in that part of New Zealand was hated and vilified on the other side of the country in Taranaki. And it's to Taranaki we head to now, where Mariah visited with Daisy Noble, head of Nga Ruahine Runanga, the organisation representing the people of Nga Ruahine Iwi. And of course, it starts off with a history lesson. This whole area right through here, um, and even as we came up that hill, there used to be houses right along there, all the way down towards the beach. So it's That's Daisy Noble, pointing out landmarks at Ohawe, a coastal settlement west of Hawera, some 15 kilometres away. And it's where she took me to talk through the Waitangi Tribunal claim her Naruahine Iwi has submitted around protecting whitebait. This whole, if you like, this whole village was set aside for the kūpapa. Over the years, Daisy Noble has held various leadership roles within her southern Taranaki iwi, Naruehine, and like anyone will tell you, when you work with iwi, you have to develop a thick skin. To put it bluntly, you won't win any popularity contests entering iwi politics. All these, how, all these street names, they're not from here. No, that's fact. All those street- so by kūpapa you mean this is, the, this is the whenua that the government set aside for those who had cooperated with yeah. the government yeah, and to who come served. and live? No, who served with the, with the, with the Crown and Māori. Yeah, and taking our people out. And they, 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 they were with the kūpapa and uh, what they did was, was that they were promised land in return for services rendered and it was this whole, it was this whole, this whole township. Kūpapa is a term used to describe Māori who fought alongside the Crown against other iwi, or in some cases, even against their own. Now, it's all relative. Firstly, how do you define a kūpapa who in some cases was motivated by protecting their own? Secondly, look deep enough in any iwi history and there's evidence of kūpapa. And thirdly, one man's kūpapa is another's friend. For example, Tuhoi Vunati Puraua's kūpapa, some Napuhi are viewed as kūpapa, and in the context of this kōrero with Daisy Noble, Whanganui is viewed as kūpapa to her people. And all the street names that are here, the bulk of them don't belong here. Those are all Whanganui names. It's a Whanganui Māori that this, that this was set aside for. Who were all kūpapa. So how did those people then intermingle with 
they've never they've never they've never come to claim it. No, but how did they intermingle with the Tangata Whenua? They actually joined the Armed Coast Constabulary and they were used to go into the bush to take our people, to, to find our people. That's what happened, yeah. And it was mainly, when we talk about um, Wanganui Kupapa, we talk about Pa, that area. It was that, it was that stretch of Wanganui that has... Um, has been given all this but they never ever came to claim it they were scared that our, our ones would knock their heads off oh so they never actually came and settled here oh no oh so it was set aside for them yes, and they were and given their streets blocks. these yep. streets are named after yep. after them but they never actually came no no shoot no they they, they were oh, for whatever reasons bottom line is is that that's what it is yeah and so they never ever came here and there claimed. There's a swahine that came. And she looked more like a Pākehā than a Māori. Anyway, she's sitting there and I looked at her and I thought, who are you? Never seen you before. Daisy anyway, then describes a scenario that illustrates so the need to anyway, know, understand and accept all aspects of your whakapapa. All that for some people reconnecting with their taha Māori for the first time, neglect to do. Because I'm not afraid to talk like that, eh? And I said, oh, so you're one of those Wanganui Kupapa Māori. I don't know what you're talking about. She didn't even know her history. I said, well, that's how you get in here. No other way. Well, she only lasted six months. Gone. And that was because by then, everybody had latched on who the hell she was. So you can imagine if we were like that. In those days, I would have just gone like that. But anyway, this whole township was laid out for um, soldiers and so um, but they never claimed them now all these houses here um, and then this whole entire area went under the Linz department which is what we found out many years later when we started to do a lot of work around down here so Linz um, all these people on the beach here aside from the, the reserve all they, they, the um, leases on all these land blocks were like um, in perpetuity type thing. Anyway, um, prior to the settlements beginning, Linz wrote to all the residents of the beach. How many people live here? Oh, look, I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't tell you now, but um, I would say... In terms of housing, there'd probably be about 50-odd houses down here. And um, prior to the treaty settlement process starting for us, this whole um, area was then offered to all the <laughs> residents. You could build, it was like, like I said, lease in perpetuity. Uh, you, could hold, you, you could own your home, and that, but you couldn't own the dirt beneath. Anyway, they, they did whatever they could. I'm talking about the park here. And they made these lands available. Now, most of the residents on this beach back in 19... This was after the fiscal envelope. And the early... Not in the early 1990s. Yeah, in the early 1990s, all the residents of, of the beach that had a home here, they were offered these sections. And they brought them for a soul. That's what they got. And yet the treaty settlements were about to start. They never ever thought. Now, that's one of the things that 
um, I had raised and said, we have to have this addressed. Because the Crown damn well knew, it's, it's, it's like an SOE, like a state-owned um, asset. SOAs. And and so what they did was was divested all those interests before the treaty settlement process began. That's what happened here. So it just went from hand to hand to hand. And so all we own is these little bits here. Yeah. But this whole township is ours. Like everything else. You know, and all of our right around the Motu belongs to Māori of those areas. Yeah, but this is the this is the um, um, constabulary um, retirement village. Yeah, that's what this is. A cemetery up here, which is that thing you saw on the main road, right. road soldier cemetery. Well, when they die, this is where they retired them to, to spend out the rest of their living memories. Is here. There was a ridge out here, you see, down here, not here. But along at Ohawi Tukatuka. What do you mean, redoubt? Um, they were the government, they were the constabulary headquarters. And they used to build these redoubts. So this is what our entire village consists of. You just do a complete circle and you go back out. <laughs> like you would expect with any beach. Um, and all that history. Yeah. That's so, still so recent. Yeah, it is. It's so has the mamai gone? nor ever likely to. No settlement will ever take away the mamai, eh? As you know. It will never ever heal that. That's where Tuhoi and, um, oh, Ingrams. That's my nanny's name. That's where Tuhoi and uh, Tanaki have such a shared experience of it because we were subject to the Broke scorched earth policy. Yes, she's and the Raupatsi. Yep. And it's recent. Yep. It's, you know, and it'll, it'll always be there, eh? Because the very fact that we survived, yes, is uh, is something that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, you know we are the survivors. Yes, we are. We are the survivors of that time, of the scorched earth policy. That's what we are. You're dead right, because that's how I see ourselves too, and that's what I say to our ones in this settlement. You know, and and I will say, you know, you can't, um, you can't forget that part of the settlement you must address those things um, it's and, and you know I say it's not about money, it's about putting it back into the history books that this is what happened How much are the houses here worth? I don't know now I wouldn't have any idea So is your house still standing, the one that no. you were brought up in? Where the pass, where the oh, power yeah. is now Oh that's right Yeah. Now there's the soldier cemetery up there the great soldier cemetery, and you know, buried in there is a noble. Peter Street, a Peter Nicol Street. So these are all names that are from Whanganui. Yeah, yep, yep, they are wonderful, eh? <laughs> Absolutely, and that is home. Go home, cat. Yeah, I reckon. Run over you, dopey thing. It's because the concrete's warm, eh? Yeah. I mean, look, some of these houses are very flash. Yep. Well, it's 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 a retirement village now. It's a uh, for for many of our. Um, look at that. Look at that. Mm. Look at that. Now, you see all these lands here? All of it. 
So we're just getting out of the township. Yeah, and all the way to the main road. These are what they were called in the old days. And um, going back to the 1800s, the time of the confiscation. These were all known as the Livingston Estate. Now, James Livingston has a huge... Um, it's a huge part of our community's history. And he was... He served in the constabulary, but he was also a pioneer for the community and built the community and, and all those sorts of things. Now, for services rendered, the bulk of this, he was gifted. It got gifted to one James Livingston. So, not only was it set aside for constabulary yep. the rest of it or was, kupapa, yeah. it was also set aside for James Livingston. Yeah, gifted to James Livingston. He later sold it back to the crown. Hmm. Yeah, he did. Now this this road here, that is the actual public access. Yeah, that looks like the road that goes down to the beach. Yeah, that's the public access to the beach. It's grown over. Yeah, and not that road that we came up when sure. we were down the beach. That is part of the reserve. And that's private access. Yes, and that's the one that I've had a big row about over the years. And I've said to the, I've said to the. To, to the council. No, no. That is not a public road. Yes, it is, Daisy. I said, no, it's not. I said, that used to be the track that the old people used to walk down to get to the beach. And I said, then, the, the Egmont County Council came along, and what did they do? Oh, it's all right, um, you know, it's all right, Mrs. Noble or Mrs. whoever, we will put some, some gravel down, make it easy for you to walk. Our, our our mothers and our queens at that time had no idea what that meant. Oh, you are a good parkia. What the parkia did was talking. The moment the parkia played a hand in putting that track in, we were gone. And that's how they took it. And I said, so, they did that. And they said, no, Daisy. I said, no, nah, your access is over there. I said, the problem with you is, is that the problem with you follow is, your access, as soon as you get to the end, you straight over the cliff. Because it's true. Bloody assholes. But that's our, that, that's it, warts and all. Kia ora, Daisy Noble, nor Nga Ruahine. Now to hear Te Ahika again in past episodes, go to our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz, Te Ahika. And you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter on there as well. Anaira, a Sophie Nock with this week's Whakatauki. Etohe eta tipurihi, and persistence has its rewards. So, kahangai tera kite well kite mahi kite ako kite rangahau ahakoha te kaupapa. So, regardless of your kaupapa, that you know that can pertain to to anything, anything that we pursue, really. Next week, I'm with singer-songwriter Kirsten Tirito. She'll be in the studio with her husband and they'll be singing a few songs for us. And why do Māori have such a high rate of imprisonment? Celia Lashley joins me for a discussion. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā, he mihi anō ki ngā kai whakamahia i ngā rorohiko. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu, mai te whanua te ahika. Kia tātou katoa, Māori ora.